This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome in. It's episode number 62 of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com, your home for all things minor league baseball. I am Tyler Mon in Denver, Colorado. In New York City is Sam Dykstra. Hello, Sam. Hello, Tyler. Happy uh, draft day to everybody listening to us yeah. on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and draft weekend and draft week, uh, depending on when you're listening to us. But uh, yeah, big big week here in in pro baseball, and especially for us in the minors. Big things popping. Sam is actually headed. We're recording on Wednesday as we do weekly now, and Sam is headed to the draft tomorrow in Secaucus, New Jersey. Uh, what do you do? Take the path train. There is there's a path train. I think there's a bus. There okay. might be a boat at some point. I don't okay. know. I, it's uh, it's going to require several Google Mapsing uh, <laughs> to get there. But I will get there and I'll have all the reports for for us on the site as as it happens. And that, there's also a luncheon tomorrow too um, that I'm hoping to talk to a couple of guys who are going to be there uh, who are in town for the draft. Um, I think I know one is Ian Anderson who is confirmed um, going to be there. And I think a, at least one other uh, draftee will be there tomorrow. So it'll be it'll be interesting to be in the room for the first time. It's going to be uh, that'll be really, really cool for you. I'm really excited for you. And um, we are going to today talk about the draft a bit. We're not going to give you a ton of information about the draft because by the time you are listening to this, the first round could well be in the book. The first many rounds could well be in the book. So we're not going to go too in-depth in talking about the draft. Obviously, next week we'll do some breakdown and some look back on uh, how things went, especially at the top end of the draft. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of our uh, – that is our point for today, shall we say. Yeah, no, definitely. We don't want to tell you who the, the Phillies might take at one – uh, who the Reds could take it to and who the Braves could take it three, because by the time you heard this, you would <laughs> have better information for us than we would have for you. So this will be more about what players, um, you know, we're looking at who, who can make a real positive impact on some organizations and what to expect from those guys. If you hear their names called. So get pumped. Uh, the first uh, 10 picks, by the way, in order are Philadelphia Phillies, the Cincinnati Reds, the Atlanta Braves, the Colorado Rockies, the Milwaukee Brewers, the Oakland Athletics, the Miami Marlins, San Diego Padres, Detroit Tigers, and Chicago White Sox. So there you have it. You can head to MLB Pipeline. You can check out uh, some of the, the mock drafts, some of the theories, all that kind of stuff if you're listening to this prior to the first round. But uh, let's get started with uh, other things. Guys who have formerly been through the draft who are headed up to the major leagues for the first time as we open up three strikes for episode number 62 of the show before the show podcast. One of them already there, one of them arriving. Albert Almora today, first major league hit, first major league RBI, first major league assist from the outfield. Jamison Tyone up in the big leagues as well. Almora with the Cubs, Tyone with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Really strong starts to the season for both. Sam, give me some of your uh, your initial reaction and your thoughts on those two guys finally making it to the show. Yeah, so it's it's fun to see Almora uh, get called up. He, he joined the show back in April. Um, so it was fun to go back to that and listen to it. And I know we talked to him a little bit about what it's like to be part of the Cubs outfield now with 
Jason Hayward there and Dexter Fowler back and uh, obviously Fowler off to a very, very good start. So it'll be cool for Elmore to play a little bit in that outfield. Uh, I know Joe Madden said yesterday that he's not exactly going to be an everyday player right now. Uh, they want to get Tommy LaStella some extra at-bats, which means potentially moving Chris Bryant out to left field. Uh, but there is every chance that Elmore could get some at-bats here and there. Um, some time as a defensive replacement, we certainly know he's good enough in the outfield. I think Bryant called him the best center fielder he's ever seen, uh, which is high praise. And I, I think a, a little bit maybe inflated just because he's his teammate. There's some really, really good outfielders out, out there, obviously. But Elmore is certainly a good one, and he showed it off with his arm. Uh, nailing, I think, Odubel Herrera at home today from left field. Uh, so that, that'll that be fun to see him out there while Jorge Soler uh, hits the DL from a with a left hamstring strain. But Tyone, I think, is the more interesting call-up. Obviously, we, we know a little bit of his backstory. We talked a lot about it both here on the show. We've written a lot about it on the site. Uh, missed the last two seasons due to Tommy John and hernia surgery. It's been a long road back just to AAA for Tyone, and now he's getting that call to the majors. Uh, he's put up some stellar numbers this year at Indianapolis, uh, 2.04 ERA, 8.9 strikeout per nine, uh, just a 0.9 walk per nine. And with that in mind, he leads all of AAA baseball with that 0.9 walks per nine. But I'm going to list off some other things that he leads all of AAA in. His 1.93 FIP, best in AAA. His 10.2 Strikeout per walk ratio, best in AAA, is 0.81 whip, best in AAA. So this is a guy who is definitely ready for the call. Um, I was a little disappointed yesterday when Neil Huntington gave, I don't know if it was a press conference or if he was just talking to an individual journalist, but he said he was he wishes Tyone could have been kept down a little longer. I don't think that's the message you exactly want to send a guy coming up for his major league debut, that, hey, we, we're not sure if you're entirely ready, but uh, go get him. Uh, I, I, that's disappointed me a little bit, but I think Tyone certainly has proven that he has stellar control. Now, uh, all the reports on his stuff is that it's right there. He's even said he's been way ahead of where he thought he'd be results wise. And, uh, now tonight, you know, Wednesday, when we're, when we're recording this, uh, he's going to have every chance to prove it. And if he comes out with a really strong start, shows the stuff that he had in Indianapolis, I, I would hope that he has a chance to uh, stick for a while. It's really exciting in Tyone's case because you always root for a guy who overcomes injury. And Tommy John is one thing, but then losing all of last season, um, you know, I mean, we heard so much from him, especially in the spring, about how he was, I think, kind of sick of waiting to get back, waiting to be back on a mound, waiting to be back in games. And so the way he started this year was so much better than best-case scenario. That's really exciting. Uh, and for Albert Almora, I mean, the thing that I really like about Albert Almora is when we talk to him, a few weeks ago on the podcast, you just got the feel that this is a guy who doesn't want to do anything other than play baseball. And, you know, drafted, breaks into pro ball after being the sixth overall pick in 2012. He's been there for kind of the, the genesis of this youth movement with the Cubs, and he's made that climb since he was 18. He's still only 22 years old. Last season, really, really good year with Double A Tennessee. Broke into Double A at the age of 20 in 2014. It's just been such a steady climb from him. And he seems like the type of guy who is so selfless with the way that he plays baseball, talks up his teammates, plays for USA Baseball every chance he gets, uh, wants to be a part of that program that they're building in Chicago of just a continual, it seems like, production line of talented young, especially position player talent. Um, and Albert Almora, you know, maybe more defensively, 
the, what he does with the bat is uh, the next in line among those guys in the Cubs system. So really exciting for him, too. But a couple of guys who uh, are really going to be a lot of fun to watch. And Jamison Tyone, like I said, cheering for guys coming off of injury is so easy. Cheering for guys who lost two years because of injury is even more so. So congratulations to both of those guys. And for Albert Almora today, first hit, first RBI, first outfield assist, all kinds of cool stuff. We always like to see when, you know, show before the show guys end up making it big, uh, you know, get the bump. Yeah, we get we get to be minor league hipsters in that way and say we knew them when exactly all that kind of stuff. I liked Albert's original stuff, liked (laughs) all of his old stuff, man. And you can listen to his original stuff on our podcast. You can go back and go back and download that episode as well as this episode to that edition of the show before the show podcast, uh, which was as Sam noted back in April. That was episode number 56, which dropped on April 28th Uh, strike two this week, Sam. We're nearing all-star game time already around the minor leagues, and a whole host of leagues have already dropped their all-star rosters. We'll be talking with one coming up here in just a little bit, which gives us a chance to tease that for you. Phil Bickford, the number three prospect in the San Francisco Giants organization, named the South Atlantic League South Division all-star team. Phil Bickford will be joining the show in just a little bit. Uh, But, Sam, what is the all-star roster that excites you most so far? Yeah, so amongst the ones that we've kind of named, or we haven't named, you know, the individual leagues have named them. They all have their own ways of doing it. So when we write up these stories, don't be tweeting at us saying, why isn't this person an all-star? Well, we didn't pick them. It's normally the field managers or local media, that kind of thing. We we just report what's given to us. But uh, the, the team that kind of really stuck out to me today was the Southern League South Division roster. Yeah. I'm just going to kind of run down some of the names that appear here. Dansby Swanson, a uh, friend of the pod, been on here before, before his trade from the D-backs to the Braves. He's a Southern League All-Star after, I think, only 32 games in Mississippi. Obviously, that shows uh, just how much impact he's having with that Mississippi team. And I want to note that the Southern League All-Star game this year is in Pearl, Mississippi, so he'll be playing in front of home fans. Uh, so you got Dansby Swanson, Brett Phillips, uh, Jacob Nottingham, who's also been on the podcast before. Brett Phillips also been on the podcast before. Uh, those two guys playing with Biloxi Shuckers. Josh Hader, who has arguably had the best numbers in all of minor league baseball in terms of pitching this year. He'll be re- representing Biloxi. Uh, it's from that same side, Amir Garrett is going to be there for the Pensacola Wahoos. It's just been one of those, uh, it's one of those rosters that you would love to see in a Arizona fall league team. And now it's all together on one division roster. Uh, so it's really cool to see that in the uh, Southern league all-star game coming up later this month. That would be the one that I would pick as well. Another one that I think is really exciting. Um, the South Atlantic league, a couple of teenagers who are on that roster and top 100 prospects, Victor Robles of the Washington nationals organization, a member of the Hagerstown Suns. Uh, he is on that club. Brendan Rogers, the Rockies top prospect and the third overall pick in last season's draft. And, As we noted, Phil Bickford, some of the names who are going to be on those rosters for the South Atlantic League All-Star Game, which is coming up uh, on June 21st at the home of the Lexington Legends in Lexington, Kentucky. So um, that's really exciting. And, oh, by the way, you can go to MILB.com right now and help vote in the All-Stars for the 2016 AAA All-Star Game, which is always something that uh, we have a ton of fun with, and we know a lot of people enjoy voting in as well. Um, That is one of the cool things in the minor leagues that you get to help honor the guys who will shine from the highest level of the minors every season. Yeah, and uh, voting is, you know, ongoing, as you said, for that. So uh, 
you know, get your votes in now. The, like I said, with the other stuff that that was all named by again, right. field managers, local media, that kind of thing. This is your chance to have your vote. Um, so do get those votes in as much as possible. If you if you live near a triple A team, there's one guy that you really like the way he plays. Uh, you'd like to see him honored for that. Now is your chance to do that. Do your civic duty. As we noted last week, do your civic duty. I actually got it out cleanly this week. Um, <laughs> go vote at MILB.com. You can vote for 2016 AAA All-Stars, in which the International League and the Pacific Coast League will do battle. Um, coming up here in uh, in just a, a couple of short weeks now, which is so crazy that we're already at the point of the season. Uh, that's coming up July 13th, so just barely over a month away in Charlotte, North Carolina. But it's so crazy we're already to that point of the year where we're talking about All-Star games. Yeah, all these all-star rosters are coming in fast and furious this week. I know we've also had the uh, California League all-star roster, Carolina League all-star roster, and Midwest League all-star rosters coming in. So there there are going to be a couple more coming down the line. I think Eastern and Texas are the only ones yet to be named that aren't necessarily AAA. Well, aren't obviously AAA balloting. Uh, So look out for those as well. And those ones are coming up a little bit later as well. Southern League is June 21st, so that one is out now. Texas League is June 28th. Eastern League is later. That is on July 13th. Um, so be on the lookout for those coming up soon as well. Strike three, Sam. Headed back to the draft. Like we noted a little bit earlier on in the show, coming up this weekend, starting Thursday night, stretching through Saturday, the Major League Baseball first-year player draft. Some of the names to watch. There are mock drafts up, as we noted, at MLB.com right now, MLB Pipeline. Um, the, the guys there do such a tremendous job getting you ready and also kind of showing you just how difficult it is to nail this down. Jim Callis, his most recent one is from just a few days ago in which the first four selections in his first round matched the same that he did two weeks prior, but he kind of stressed how that's so fluid. And that's, what's so interesting about the, the, the MLB draft. There's nothing guaranteed. You draft somebody in the first round of the NFL. That person's going to start for you on Sunday, six months later, more than more likely than not. In Major League Baseball, it's such a different process to pick somebody knowing that you're more than likely not going to see them for a couple years at the earliest in their transition from high school or college to the Major Leagues. But, uh, Sam, give me some of the names that you're keeping an eye on this week, obviously, as you'll be there tomorrow night for the first round. Yeah, and you mentioned you know just trying to project these guys out, but there's also some calculus involved in terms of uh, draft pools. You know, each pick has its own allotted slot value. And then you add up all the first 10 rounds and that's your pool. And sometimes some of these organizations are maybe going to pick a player because they know he'll be cheaper and they can save that extra money that they bank signing him for a later guy who you know maybe has a strong commitment to college and will need a little extra enticing. So there's a lot that goes into it other than just who is the best player available or you know, we need a second baseman. Let's go get a second baseman. That it it doesn't work that easily in the Major League Baseball draft. Um, that said, I you know reading a lot of mocks, reading doing some reading on this process, uh, it seems like AJ Puck is a is a pretty good bet. Not necessarily a lock by any means, but he seems like a guy who could certainly go to the Phillies at number one. Left-hander um, out of the University of Florida. Right, exactly. Uh, I know he had a rough start against Connecticut last time out, but he's a six foot seven left-hander, just a guy you can dream on. He's got a really good fastball, can hit the high nineties, uh, a slider that, you know, we talked about Josh Hader before in the South Southern league. Um, it seems like he has that kind of wipeout slider that we talk about with Hader. Um, 
And, you know, there's just so much more to dream on with a guy coming out of college like that. Uh, so I think the Phillies would love to have somebody like that in their organization. It seems like he's a good bet to it. If he's not going one to go two or three to the Reds or Braves. Um, but what I'm going to be paying attention to is how this kind of works out with some college outfielders. Uh, Corey Ray seems like he is almost, I, I called him in the story I wrote today on the site, uh, this year's version of Andrew Benintendi. Uh, he's a guy who hit 319, 396, 562 with 15 homers and 44 steals this year for Louisville as a junior. Uh, it sounds like he can stick in center. He's got plenty of speed to burn there. And, uh, I think ESPN.com's Keith Law called him the top overall prospect in this draft. I know MLB Pipeline disagrees. They have uh, Groom at the top spot there, Jason Groom, uh, the left-hander pitching prospect out of New Jersey, the high school pitching prospect. Uh, but Corey Ray sounds like a very, very interesting piece because he's just a guy who he has a little bit of pop. He has plenty of speed. Uh, you know how much organizations love guys up the middle with that kind of tool set. And staying in that same kind of level, Kyle Lewis is just a guy who tore the cover off the ball this year at Mercer, uh, built up. A, he was he went undrafted out of high school, out of Georgia high school, and has built up his stock so much that he could be a top five pick this year around. Baseball America named him their college player of the year. He hit 395 with a 535 on base percentage, a 731 slugging percentage with 20 homers, 72 RBIs, and 66 walks versus only 48 strikeouts in 61 games uh, for Mercer. Obviously not a big top program, so he's not going up against you know big top pitching like a puck, something like that. But you know he, you hit where you're at, and he certainly did a lot of that, and I know scouts really, really like him, so we'll have to see what how organizations view him as well. I think those three guys are maybe my most exciting. Uh, but just to go back to Groom, uh, I'm also going to be keeping an eye on where he goes uh, as opposed to Riley Pint, who Groom is a left-hander, Pint is a right-hander. Groom is a left-hander, excuse me. Pint is a right-hander. Uh, so they're two guys coming at it you know, from different sides, sides of the mound. Obviously, the left-handers have a little bit more value. They're a little bit tougher to find. So I think Groom... You know, might go a little higher. He's certainly been talked about more. I think he's Pipeline's top overall draft prospect, but Pint comes in at number two. He's got a really good four-pitch mix. Uh, the rumor right now is that Groom is whispering that he might go to junior college foregoing a commitment to Vanderbilt if he doesn't get the bonus he's looking for. But uh, that could just be pre-draft you know, shenanigans. It could just be... You know, if I don't get what I'm looking for, I'll, I'll leave. You know, you're just planting the seeds. Uh, so we'll have to see how that all shakes out. Will that will groom scare enough teams away uh, or will somebody, you know, you know, bite the bullet and try to negotiate with them by taking them high? Uh, we'll see how all that works out. But it, there are tons of storylines to look forward to to this draft. Um, if you're listening to this on Thursday, uh, go to our site. I've got a full draft preview up right now with some of those names, with some of those storylines. Um, and if you're looking at it on Friday, um, you know, I recommend Pipeline, Baseball America, all that. Uh, check out some of these scouting reports on these teams that you're, or these guys that your teams did draft. I, um, I agree with all that. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's really interesting in the major league draft, how as Sam kind of noted, you can't just draft based on need. This isn't, you know, something where you go out and you pick, okay, we need a shortstop. Let's go get a shortstop. That's not how it works in baseball. But what I do find interesting is if you are a team, 
that is projecting a need a few years down the road for an outfielder, this is the type of draft to be toward the top of the board in because four of MLB Pipeline's top eight prospects are outfielders. You heard Sam talk a little bit about Kyle Lewis and about Corey Ray, but also keep an eye on a couple of young guys. Mickey Moniak, who is an outfielder out of La Costa Canyon High School in California, and Blake Rutherford, who is out of Chaminade College Prep in California as well. Those guys are the number five and number eight overall talents as according to MLB pipeline. Uh, so keep an eye on those two. But what fascinates me most is like Sam was kind of discussing Jason groom and Riley pint are the top two talents in the draft. That's according to MLB pipeline, but they are also projected to go sixth and eighth overall, according to Jim Callis from MLB pipeline. So that kind of shows you how different it is. It isn't just go out and get the top talent. It all has to fit into the plan. So keep an eye on those two guys. And also, by the way, if you are wondering, Riley Pint, for any of you who have read The Arm by Jeff Passan, Riley Pint, that is the Riley Pint that you read about in that book. So he obviously stayed healthy. I don't want to spoil that for you if you're early in the book. <laughs> but it's kind of crazy to read about a guy and what it's like, you know, the showcase circuit, weighing to be a part of the showcase circuit or not, um, coming up through high school, trying to keep yourself healthy, playing other sports, all that kind of stuff, and then realize – yeah, it works to not go out and throw a billion innings a year. You can still be the second-ranked overall talent going into the MLB draft. So Riley Pint, who is, by the way, committed to play at LSU, uh, keep an eye on him. He's the number two-ranked overall talent headed into this season's draft. So that does it for uh, three strikes on this week, the 62nd episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Uh, before we step aside for a brief timeout, you can head to iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Give us a rating and a review and a subscription there. You can contact the show, podcast at MILB.com with your questions, thoughts, comments, whatever you've got, especially coming out of the draft. You want us to give a, an idea of where somebody who your team gets may fit in down the road. Send us a note. You can tweet at us as well. I am at Tyler Mon. Sam is at Sam Dykstra, MILB, and Minor League Baseball is at MILB as well. And that wraps up the first segment of this week's show. Coming up here in just a moment, the third prospect in the overall rankings of the San Francisco Giants organization, Phil Bickford, pitcher who has been through that draft process a lot, twice, uh, which is way more than anybody wants to go through it sometimes, it seems like. Uh, but really interesting experiences for Phil Bickford, really interesting stuff coming up. We'll have a conversation with Phil after a brief time out here on episode number 62 of the show before the show. Watch the stars of tomorrow today on MILB-TV. Before they made it to the show, stars like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant were on MILB-TV. Subscribe today to get more than 5,000 minor league games streamed live and on demand, including games from affiliates of all 30 major league clubs. Select all-star and postseason games are also included. On the go? Watch on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch with the free MILB First Pitch app. Visit MILB.TV for details. It is nearly Major League Draft time. The first-year player draft starting Thursday in Secaucus, New Jersey. And joining us for this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, a guy who knows a whole lot about the Major League Draft experience, and that is Phil Bickford, the third-ranked prospect in the San Francisco Giants system, who is hanging out today with the Class A Augusta Green Jackets in the South Atlantic League. Phil, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Great, man. It's good to talk to you. This has been a really good start to the season for you already in Augusta. Ten starts in, 2.89 ERA, a, uh, a really good start on a team that has a lot of young talent. What has it been like getting a full season ball for the first time in your professional career, joining the Giants last year out of the draft? Um, it was very exciting to start the first full season and 
uh, just going into it. It was a lot of fun and a lot of cool guys in the organization and on the Augusta Green Jackets. And uh, we're just trying our best to play good ball. And uh, in this first full season for you, Phil, what what has been your kind of main area of focus um, going into – you know, pitching a full season like this, adding so many innings onto your onto your arm like that. What has been your focus so far in 2016? Um, just as always, getting in a routine and sticking to your routine. And on the mound, uh, just continue to develop the uh, secondary pitches. And as always, just throw a lot of strikes and try to help your team win the game. Yeah, and kind of going back to last year, uh, as, as Tyler mentioned, you were, you were taken in the first round last year by the Giants. Uh, if you could kind of describe for us what your draft experience was. I know you went through it one time with the Blue Jays, uh, but what was it like last year going through it a second time and getting taken again in the first round? It was an unbelievable feeling, um, not only for myself, but for the family as well. And that's who I was with while I was watching it. And it was just, um, I mean, it's harder to describe. It's like a just an instant feeling of uh, just happiness. Uh, everything that you've strived for and have gone through with your family and friends, and um, just seeing it all come together uh, through the draft is an amazing feeling. And just like the little uh, cherry was that it was by the Giants, which is a fantastic organization and um you always hear about how special of an organization they are but once you're in the system you really get to see it firsthand um just how from top to bottom it's just a fantastic bunch of uh people and um it's just all really is a blessing Phil, back in 2013, coming out of high school, Oaks Christian High School in Westlake, California, you were taken with the 10th overall pick by the Blue Jays and decided to keep your commitment to Cal State Fullerton, go there, play for a year, uh, and then a really, really successful stint in the Cape Cod League and then a transfer uh, for your second year of school to the College of Southern Nevada. But kind of walk us through the process of that first draft experience for you because coming out of high school, a commitment to a college powerhouse um, and getting drafted by the Blue Jays, just walk us through what that was like in the decision to not sign with the Blue Jays and keep that college commitment? Um, Out of high school, um, me and my agent were excited going into the draft and the Blue Jays ended up uh, picking us. And then when the negotiations started, it all just didn't work out. And then, um, so we made a commitment to go to Cal State Fullerton, which is a, um, unbelievable program and it was a great experience there and then uh after the cape cod experience oh it's just just about the draft or like the whole process no yeah go go through the whole process because i mean it's you stopped at so many good baseball places i mean fullerton's a powerhouse the cape cod league you're named the outstanding pro prospect and then college of southern nevada obviously people are probably familiar that was bryce harper's school he gets his ged goes to school early uh in college there and that kind of i don't want to say put that program on the map because it was already there but you you got a chance to stop in so many good places on the road to the giants yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, I guess it was a blessing in disguise just how many uh, areas there were leading up to this, um, just playing good ball in a lot of places. 
And back to what I was saying originally was uh, the negotiations with the Blue Jays just didn't work out. So uh, that was off the table, and we decided to go to Cal State Fullerton, which was a um, great first year. And after the Cape, um, I mean, obviously it was a tough decision leaving uh, Cal State Fullerton. Um, all respect to Cal State Fullerton, but uh, there was just um, a good amount of people telling me to go to JC and go up for this year's uh, last year's draft. And that was the decision that was made, and um, everything ended up working out. So, yeah, yeah, I would certainly say so. But just to go back to the Blue Jays real fast, uh, how close did you get? Uh, to ever signing with them. I know you said in no negotiations it didn't work out. And as Tyler mentioned, you had you know a nice commitment to Fullerton there. Uh, but was there ever a point where it was a ticking clock and you were almost there? Or were you guys just always so far apart that it, it looked like you were going to always go to Fullerton? Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, you kind of got like a weird feeling um, as soon as you got picked by them. And uh, all respect to their organization, but I'm kind of uh you can kind of tell now when they haven't signed four out of the five past first rounders i mean it was a interesting process it wasn't ever really close to be honest phil bickford is our guest who is the number three prospect in the san francisco giants organization and uh this is a really cool time of year for anybody who's a baseball nerd because uh regionals are over super regional start this week uh college world series trips are going to be cemented here really soon um and phil for for a guy like you who this time last year was going through this process if you could talk to you know some of the guys who are i mean obviously when when you were at fullerton you guys made it to a regional final uh but the guys who are going into super regionals right now or even for guys who are coming out of high school right now if you could go back a year or three years and talk to yourself or talk to those guys who are dealing with it now what would you say what's a piece of advice you would give for the guys who are going through that draft process and how stressful it is um just going through the draft process is uh you just gotta just be as positive as you can be and um trust uh whoever you're with who's advising you or if you're not being advised just trust what's going on and um even if it doesn't feel like it's going your way i mean my best advice is just to stay positive and um yeah i mean just stay positive that's the best thing i can say all right phil we'll, we'll leave you with this one uh we talked a lot about the draft here today but want to talk a little bit about you and your own stuff uh, you know, reading about your fastball, especially everybody likes to talk about that. Um, you can hit the upper nineties at times. Uh, I think it's been given a 65 grade on 2080 scale. Uh, but looking at the way you've performed so far and what you have up ahead with the second half of the season coming up, um, what, what is your focus right now? Stuff wise, what, what pitches are you kind of working on and what are you looking to improve here in the second half? I'm uh, just trying to keep the fastball command, uh, keep on throwing the changeup more in the game and keep on throwing the slider more in the game. And uh, like I was saying, just to stay in the routine and get a little bit better uh, every time I show up in the field and every time I show up on the mound and every bullpen, just about getting a little bit better every day and 
for the uh, greater picture of uh, what's going on. So, yeah. Well, if you're a Giants fan, there's a whole hell of a lot to be excited for with Phil Bickford, who uh, is right now with the Class A Augusta Green Jacket so far this season. Some really, really impressive stuff from Phil, who is also, by the way, named a South Atlantic League South Division All-Star, so he'll lead that pitching staff. Congratulations, Phil, on that. And thanks a ton for giving us a few minutes, and uh, congrats to the start to your first full pro season. And We'll be watching the rest of the way, man. Best of luck. Hey, I appreciate it a lot. You have a great rest of your day. It was nice talking to you. Just want to jump in here real quick before we uh, head over to talk with Benjamin Hill, our good pal who's on Twitter at Ben's Biz. Ben's Biz banter coming up shortly. Um, there was a note made uh, in our conversation with Phil Bickford. Phil had noted, uh, he said that the Toronto Blue Jays had not signed four out of their last five first-round picks. We did some checking on that. There are a handful of first-round picks that the Blue Jays have not signed in recent seasons, including Phil Bickford. Uh, the other couple, Tyler Beatty, they did not sign, and James Paxton they did not sign. It was a first-round supplemental pick back in 2009, but those are over a host of first round picks in recent seasons so not quite exactly the same right sam yeah not so much um you know we don't want to just let that slip and you know it, it, it was an interesting thing for him to say it, it was the first time i think any i at least anything i've read or heard from him from him about why he didn't sign um so it didn't sound like it was a, a very positive negotiation between those two sides but we don't want to just let that sit there as if the the Blue Jays are not great negotiators with their first round picks. Obviously they've done pretty well in the last couple of years signing those guys. Uh John Harris last year, Jeff Hoffman the year before that, uh at, and Max Pentecost all in su- succession after that Phil Bickford first round pick. Um so we just want to hop in here real fast and uh, we'll get you back to Ben now. got started or was a little bit after the season uh ben and i did an entire show based on minor league jingles and we were going to lead into the ben's biz banter segment of the show before the show week to week with jingles and we hadn't done it for the last few weeks so we welcome you into this week's edition with uh, some good synergy the frederick keys and shake your keys one of my favorite minor league jingles because it refers to harry grove memorial stadium not the name of the ballpark and also talks about hitting one into the bleachers and there are no bleachers in the outfield at harry grove stadium so uh i love those minor league jingles ben welcome back what's going on hey tyler yeah thanks for ruining that song for everyone i mean we just want to <laughs> we just want to enjoy it we, we don't listen to i love it jingles for in-depth analysis of the lyrics but I love it um Hey, yeah, thank you. I'm 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 glad to be welcome back. I'm glad to be back. I'm gonna uh, drink a little Red Bull because I'm very uh, very low energy today, but I'm gonna bring it. That was a rally. good. That was a that was some really good nat sound as they teach us in broadcasting class. That was like the perfect pop of the can back there. 
Yeah, man, I could be a, work. a Foley artist in, in another life. <laughs> well, let's start in Frederick. Ben's promo preview and promo watch, rather, in 2016 is up on the site right now. And uh, the Frederick Keys had a really cool promo this past week, the Class A Advanced affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles, in which broadcasters Jeff Arnold and Doug Raftery did something really cool. Ben, take it away. Yeah, the Keys had a family fitness night or family fitness weekend, um, you know, with a whole variety of family fitness or just fitness endeavors. And, you know, it's minor league baseball, so it's family fitness because people like to go see minor league games with their families. But anyway, on Sunday's game, um, the two, the broadcasting duo of Jeff Arnold and Doug Raftery, they broadcast the entire game while on the concourse pedaling exercise bikes. So that is, um, I actually wrote a few years back about um, Sean Houston calling a game on a treadmill when he was with the Charleston River Dogs. So this has some kind of precedent, but not a head-to-head exercise bike battle while also calling the game. Um, you know, I talked to Jeff and Doug um, on Monday, the day after it all went down, and got a recap. Um, they were actually competing against one another throughout the game You know, with how many miles they could pedal. Um, the game only went five innings before it was rained out. And uh, Doug Raftery, who seems to be in much better shape than Jeff Arnold, actually lost to Jeff. But um, <laughs> when I talked to Doug, he said, and this is the kind of thing, you hear about a goofy promo, like two broadcasters pedaling on the concourse and, you know, and they're raising money for charity. They had GoFundMe pages. So you hear something like that and you're like, oh, cool, quirky. I like to be the guy that follows up on this stuff because it's it's always interesting and interesting to me, not just something being an interesting tweet or like a viral image of a jersey or something, but to say like how did this really go down and how did it happen? So they were competing throughout the game. It only went five innings, you know, dealing with all sorts of hassles like fans talking to them and the wind blowing, you know, their game notes and scorecards off of music stands that were set up in front of them. So just kind of a comical environment. Anyway, the broadcaster who lost, Doug, who's in better shape did three innings of play-by-play, while Jeff only did two, who won. And I think that was the difference, because the point was made that when you're doing play-by-play, you can't just pedal really hard. You have to conserve your breath and conserve your energy. But when you're doing color, you can just like really go for it. And if you don't think it's something to say, like so be it. Just let the play-by-play guy keep going. So if you're ever a minor league baseball broadcaster taking place in an exercise bike challenge on the concourse, try to do more <laughs> innings of color than play-by-play as a strategy in which to defeat your opponent. Our strategies, our suggestions are specific, but they are accurate. If you ever find yourself in that situation, that is a good one. If, if you find yourself in that situation, probably rare, but that's a good one. Yeah, rare but not unprecedented. And Tyler, yeah. you were a minor league broadcaster. Would you ever consider uh, undertaking an endeavor such as this? Uh, I would, and I would definitely be the one who is both in worse shape and also loses. I have no trouble admitting to that. Even if I did fewer innings of play-by-play, I'd still lose. Well, if there's one thing no you got doubt. going for yourself, Tyler, it's self-confidence. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. I feel like it, it fits well, in our, uh, especially in these segments. We're, we're very good at the self-deprecation. And uh, in my case, very accurately, in that I would both lose and be in worse shape. All right, well, you heard it from the source. (laughs) When you were talking to Doug and Jeff, was there any idea of how easy it was to talk while going through this, or did they just outright stop while they were doing play-by-play? I don't think they ever stop-stop, but I think when you're doing play-by-play, you're doing a real uh, gentle pedal, just just, lightly moving um, commercial breaks when you had the opportunity. But then you also have to be doing a lot of prep and, you know, being in touch with whoever's in the studio. Um, You know, they had a lot of number of bathroom breaks. Um, so there's a lot of variables. 
And they told me one of the reasons they set up on the third base side of the concourse was because the EMTs are stationed there. And uh, if one of them collapsed, uh, <laughs> they'd get help uh, quicker. So a cool idea. They both had <laughs> GoFundMe pages. And then the sponsor of the event, a gym in the Frederick area, matched the donation. So they were able to raise almost $2,200 um, for the local boys and girls club. That so, is I really mean, cool. It's, it's, it is a cool thing. It, it's easy to give lip service like, oh, good cause. But when you can think of such a goofy idea, like let's call a game on exercise bikes, but walk away with $22,000 donated to a local charity, I mean, it's really a win-win. And uh, I think other teams should. It's, that's a very specific and ridiculous thing, but other teams should consider things of this nature. Um, you know, bring some attention to the broadcasters, raise money for a good cause, uh, vary up the routines, and why not? Ben, there's a ton going on around the uh, the world of minor league baseball, both past and future this week. Um, the Rickwood Classic, uh, a whole bunch of games that we had heard about in terms of promotions that were coming up. The Columbia Fireflies will honor Prince in their purple game, purple game. The Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs are finally going to be suiting up as the cheesesteaks. The the tally is in from the wit and wit out vote for that. Um, what could have been night in El Paso, the Chihuahuas will be the Desert Gators. Give us a preview of some of these. Yeah, I mean, basically... Thursday through Saturday, the 9th, 10th, and 11th is a, a huge conglomeration of promotions that went viral when they were announced, whether that was recently or during the offseason. So I think it's an interesting weekend to kind of pay attention to, uh, maybe get some recaps of these events. I know I'll be trying to um, – because it's easy for something to go viral because it's a good image or something interesting. But here, it's all happening now. As you said, the Fireflies wearing Prince jerseys on Thursday, um, Lehigh Valley cheesesteaks, wit onions on their hats on uh, on Saturday. Was there any any Was there any doubt, by the way, that it was going to be wit? I don't think there really should have been. been. That was a good good marketing. It image. was good. Yeah. I'm just glad that wit. If wit out would have won, I would have felt very bad about well i mean i feel bad about our society a lot of times anyway but if without wins in that circumstance what kind of world are we creating for our children i agree and endless future right right and there's three men without children speaking this is a very (laughs) pressing issue um and then the lazy river opens on uh june 11th on saturday um in frisco in the outfield of dr pepper ballpark that's one of the biggest stories of the off season uh when that was first announced so they've made that a reality and uh really a very short amount of time. I think they started construction not not much more than three months ago, and now they have this massive lazy river in the outfield ready to go this weekend. And that's coinciding, I suppose coincidentally, with the Rough Riders' Vulcan salute to Star Trek night where they'll be wearing Star Trek jerseys, and uh, after a fan vote, they will be Spock-themed. So pretty big night at the ballpark when you're uh, doing a Vulcan salute to Star Trek wearing – uh, Spock jerseys and debuting a massive, unprecedented, first of its kind, lazy river in the outfield. So, you know, Frisco, they're they're doing things right this year. And which of these do you think has like the biggest chance for success this weekend? Just the way it's set up, you know, is it the Deflate Gate stuff? Is it, uh, you know, the D- Desert Gators or the, you know, the Cheese Steaks? Which of these do you think has the best chance to actually follow through on what was a promising start? Uh, I think they'll all be successful. In terms of the in-game experience, I don't think we've mentioned the Deflategate stuff, but there's the Pawtucket free Tom Brady night on Friday, followed by the Buffalo Bisons uh, suspend Tom Brady. I think that's a textbook case of a promo that gets a ton of viral attention, but if you go to either of those games, I think the effect it has on your actual in-game experience is negligible. It's just one to get attention just from the outside world. Because what are you going to do? Be named Tom and get in free? That's not going to f- affect the average fan's experience. Um, in terms of making an impact, it's, it's, some of these are one-time events. 
you know, Frisco Lazy River is going to make the biggest impact because that's a permanent feature of the ballpark from here on out. But Lehigh Valley wearing the cheesesteaks, El Paso going with the what could have been alternate reality of Desert Gators, Prince or Columbia Fireflies with the Prince Night jerseys, all those are going to be standout promotion nights because they have that visual elements and all three are teams that um, that are good with the details to surround those visual elements. Ben, one of the uh, one of the next promos we'll discuss the Johnson City Cardinals, a rookie level team in the Appy League, and you'll be visiting the Appy League soon. Um, on July 9th, they've announced that they're going to suit up as the Johnson City Wagon Wheels, which is a reference to a song that I thought, being somebody who lives you know close to the city of Boulder, I thought was played here more than any other place on the planet. But the song Wagon Wheel, which was originally released by Old Crow Medicine Show uh, and has been covered a lot of times since then, I didn't realize that any other city was just oddly obsessed with that song but apparently there's a reference to johnson city tennessee in that song so the cardinals are going to honor that song yeah july 9th wearing a jersey with a wagon wheel on it in in, in honor of the song uh wagon wheels so uh, there you go it's a very literal reference um but it's and really we, cool we talked about this last year i think kind of rare for happy league teams to do the whole new jersey thing not New Jersey, the state, but a whole, you know, a special Jersey thing. I, I get, I get you. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's a small league, low operating budgets, often uh, full time front office staff between like one and three people usually. Um, so there are often aren't the resources that are there. So cool to see teams, you know, getting what taking that opportunity and using what resources they have to have one or two kind of more blowout promotional nights and uh, put Nappy League on the map in a, in a greater context and getting more. Um, you know, attention to the cause. Um, so Johnson City is mentioned in the song Wagon Wheel. The press release had this um, explanation that it's an incorrect reference and that the song says something to the effect of like headed east to Johnson City from such and such a place. But in reality, if you were headed to Johnson City from that place, you'd be going west or something like that. So if you ever listen to Wagon Wheel, I'll look it up later. But uh, the, the geographical uh, reference to Johnson City is inaccurate in terms of the direction that the uh, narrator of the song is traveling. So that brings us friends. very full circle because I called out the whole Frederick Keys incorrect lyrics thing. So I'm glad we could also call out Old Crow Medicine Show in this. Yeah, finally. Our two biggest enemies, finally. Frederick Keys. Frederick Keys and Old Crow Medicine Show getting their comeuppance today. Well, there's, there's this last one I wanted to get to, to Ben, while you're here. You, you wrote up last week for your On the Road piece. Uh, you went down to Zebulon. Um, and you talk to the designer of the Carolina Mudcats logo, and it's got its own kind of cool history and cool story. Um, what's behind that kind of fish story? Yeah, that was an interesting story for me to write. Uh, the Mudcats in Zebulon, North Carolina, were the last stop of my last road trip, uh, North and South Carolina, last month. And um, when I was there, I talked to the GM, Joe Kramer. Uh, who's been the GM there for the entirety of the franchise's existence and got the lowdown on the logo. And the point I'm kind of trying to make in the story is that in today's minor league landscape with, you know, the rubber ducks and chihuahuas and iron pigs and blue wahoos and uh, all those kind of teams that you don't, you don't even bat an eye at the name Mudcats. But in 1989, when that team name was adopted, it was like, whoa, this is weird and strange. And it was polarizing and it kind of uh, was a, a early predecessor to the landscape we have today. And that logo, for those who are old enough to remember 25, 27 years ago, became very popular. Um, it was featured in some capacity in an Atlanta Journal-Constitution article, um, got some press through that, and it kind of snowballed, and it became a national phenomenon. And the team was selling uh, these Mudcats hats to to places all over the country, you know, in a pre-internet world, placing ads in, uh, you know, Baseball America and Baseball Weekly and stuff like that, um, and articles in the national media about what a phenomenon the logo had become. So it's easy to kind of forget that in the year 2016, with Mudcats being a fairly conservative 
operation and a fairly conservative name in today's context, but really broke some ground when they first came out and in an improbable way. And as I detail in the story, the artist who designed the logo, uh, Frank Herod or Frank Harad, um, was described by the GM as a good old hippie artist who now lives off the grid. He designed it in the course of one afternoon, faxing the logo back and forth between the owner and uh, team executives and got paid $500. And they went on to you know, surpass a million in sales in a couple of years. I think that's so cool. I remember actually when I was a kid, one of my friends uh, just loved, saw that logo in a newspaper, loved it, ordered a hat. We were in like first grade, like it would have been the early 90s. And I remember that being kind of one of the first things that I learned about minor league baseball was like, oh, look at this crazy logo with this fish coming through with its whiskers and everything. Um, and it's neat, too, because also uh, Frank Herod or Frank Carrado, however you say his last name, he painted billboards for Capital Outdoor and the owner of Capital Outdoor owned and still owns the now Carolina Mudcats uh, back when this team was located elsewhere but so just a really cool yeah you look at the the industry that has come out over the last you know 10 15 years or so of minor league rebranding and this was just i know a guy let's pick out this name let's do a logo and that's really really cool yeah it was a fun story to write the only thing that's not fun about it is how convoluted minor league baseball is when i have to explain that steve bryant still owns the mudcats today right except that when he bought them they relocated from columbus to zebulon and then in 2011 the friend the double a franchise then relocated to pensacola and then he sold that team bought the kinsett indians and brought them to <laughs> carolina mudcats where they basically kept operations but now is a different franchise in a different league but still technically the same team how do you kind of get that information out there in an article that's yeah. not about that but trying to be factually accurate those are the sort of problems i live with and uh, somehow i persevere that all makes sense to the to the average person that all makes sense double a franchise moves you buy another one move it in same team same front office not at all the same organization you know it makes perfect sense yeah, benjamin hill is on twitter you can find him there he's at ben's biz check out the blog bensbiz.mlblogs.com and uh the next road trip is coming up soon correct happy league is up in two weeks Happy League, June 25th to July 4th, 10 teams in 10 days. I'll hit the whole circuit and uh, certainly be writing about those experiences probably from the time I get back all the way until I leave on the next trip uh, in the first half of August. And in the meantime, I'm still blogging about my last trip. So as I'm always saying, you know, I'm, I'm operating the past and the present and the future. Um, I span all facets of time to bring you the best minor league baseball coverage that has ever existed in any sphere of reality. Multi-dimensional Ben. Follow him on Twitter. You can also follow him for really good road trip stuff on Instagram and on Vine as well. Uh, you can't get your groundbreaking subversive ballpark jokes of the day anywhere else. So uh, go do that. Ben, we'll do it again next week. Hey, thanks, guys. Sixty-second edition of the show before the show podcast is coming to a close. Huge thanks to Phil Bickford of the San Francisco Giants organization. You can catch Phil this season with the South Atlantic League's Augusta Green Jackets, and if you are so lucky as to be attending the 2016 Sally League All Star Game, that's coming up in Lexington. You'll see Phil there as well. Uh, MILV TV is your home for all the best talent in minor league baseball, and uh, this week a lot of good stuff coming up as always. Sam, who you got? Yeah, so we mentioned before the Southern League All-Star game. Um, so I immediately looked up who Mississippi is playing this weekend because, you know, anytime you get to see Dansby Swanson check in on his progress, that's always a good decision. Uh, and they are playing the Jackson Generals this weekend in Mississippi. Uh, and the one game I would recommend of the ones they're playing this weekend. On Sunday, Chris Ellis is slated to get the ball. Uh, he's the number 13 Braves prospect, came over in the Andrelton Simmons trade along with Sean Newcomb. He's 7-2 with a 2.85 ERA. 
Uh, he also, I think just yesterday, came off a start in which he only gave up one hit over six and two-thirds innings. Uh, so definitely a guy looking strong at that double-A level. I know he pitched a lot last year at double-A Arkansas in the Angels system, so uh, he must be in consideration for a bump to triple-A at some point soon. Uh, but seeing him go up against a Jackson Generals lineup that has both DJ Peterson and Tyler O'Neill, who we know can thump with the best of them in the minors, should make for an interesting game. And again, you know, Dansby Swanson's there. And check out Williams Studio, who uh, is one of my favorite minor leaguers in that the guy never strikes out. He has the lowest strikeout rate in all of the minors. I think it's 3.3%. So, uh, yeah, that, that should make for a fun game. What about for you, Tyler? Yeah, well, I uh, this is a guy that I want to tease every week just because he's that good, and I think we both separately have huge man crushes on him. But uh, Lucas Giolito, I mean, right behind him, Julio Urias has graduated to the big leagues. Um, the two guys behind him in the MLB.com top 100 prospect rankings are AAA, J.P. Crawford and Orlando Arcia. Uh, obviously, Jamison Tyone we talked about, he's graduated to the big leagues. Uh, coming back, Alex Reyes is a AAA. He could be there soon, Tyler Glass now. So there are all these guys – who are at that graduation level, feels like maybe Lucas Giolito is getting close to being at that from double-A AA to triple-A. Giolito doesn't often line up that he'll be prime time on a, uh, a matchup that you can watch after we record one of our episodes over a weekend. But Friday night, he'll take them out at home for Harrisburg against Akron. Um, so you can tune in to catch Giolito there. One other thing that I'm keeping an eye on in that same league, uh, one of the Rockies' top prospects, Antonio Senzatella, missed almost a month and a half with some shoulder soreness, as I understood it. Um, and he has returned to been really, really good for double-A Hartford. So you can catch him. He'll be pitching on Thursday night if you catch this on the first day that we release it on the road at Harrisburg so a couple of Senators games back to back but uh some good pitching stuff yeah for sure and uh you know like it, like we do every week though that stuff is always available on MILB.TV and people can scroll around find some stuff of their own and if there's something there's some team you don't think we've highlighted in, the, in this little segment again just tweet at us send us an email at podcast at at MILB.com, and uh, we'll try to get to them next week. And get your subscription now because short season ball starts in just a couple of weeks, and there are some short season teams on Mill TV as well that you can check out. Um, so it's you know even more baseball for you to watch in a live capacity coming up here very soon. And uh, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. Again, you can get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com. And uh, Sam's on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykes or MILB. I am at Tyler Mon. Enjoy this weekend. Enjoy the draft. We'll talk to you after all of it's over and uh for sam dykstrip i'm tyler mom we'll talk to you next week okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can conquer it I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.